The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. A devotion to your word and to each other and to the advancement of your kingdom. That's really what it's all about. May it start in our homes. May it come forth in our neighborhoods. May it come forth from our mouths. Father, thank you for this. As we pray, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you do have your Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 14 through 20. And this is our fourth installment today, actually. It's hard to believe it's been four weeks since Easter. Can you believe that? It has been a month since Easter, literally a month to the day since Easter Sunday, almost. That's crazy. It has gone by so quickly as it always does. But we're in 1 Thessalonians. We're looking at a church that was countercultural. And I haven't titled any of these sermons yet, but today's title is uh, When the Work of Jesus is Opposed. When the Work of Jesus is Opposed. And we'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse, uh, actually verse 13, reading down to the end of the chapter. If you're inside, if you would stand with us, if you're able, uh, those inside are getting their, their, their daily uh, workouts, uh, and uh, that's a good thing. It helps burn calories for the uh, social afterwards and the, the food therein. So God be praised. Let's read his scripture together. Remember Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica in modern-day Turkey. This church was under heavy persecution, yet Paul identifies himself as Paul, not as the Apostle Paul, not Brother Paul, not Pastor Paul or Chaplain Paul, but just Paul. And he's writing with Silas and Timothy, and he's instructing them to hold fast to the truth of the gospel, even as they've questioned, some of them have questioned his ministry. Verse 13, down to the end of the chapter. Hear God's word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers, and literally, for you brothers and sisters became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who, verse 15, killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering, verse 16, us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. But verse 17, since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For verse 19, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and you are our joy. Don't you love that contrast in there? Satan was doing this, but God did that. The people were opposing us here, but God did the work in you there. That's how God always works. There's a big but with God, not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. He has everything under control. When everything looks crazy, God says, but I'm God. You're not. I got this. And that is what God has done for us. Let's look at this. When the work of Jesus is opposed, let's pray together, and we'll jump, jump, jump right into it as we do. Lord, thank you so much as we come before you. We thank you, Lord, that you're, you are the awesome God. 
And Lord, we know that your son told us that there, for all of time, until the kingdom come, literally, that there will be opposition to the work of Christ. Father, we're seeing it in our day. We have seen it even before the pandemic, in the pandemic, and I'm sure whenever that, that title is lifted, we've seen it all through the history. Yet, Lord, here in America, we don't see it perhaps in the ways that our brothers and sisters around the world see it, but you've put us here. We're not less Christians and we're not greater Christians because they have that type of persecution and we have something different here. But, Lord, all in perspective and all in balance and all in context, this is the lot of a Christian that he who desires a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, Lord, help us to see your word today when the work of Jesus is opposed. Maybe it's family, maybe it's coworker, maybe it's someone online, maybe it's something we've heard in the news, maybe it's something directly in our immediately marital relationship, our own children. But, Father, if we stand for Jesus, we better know there's going to be trouble. So, Father, give us wisdom today. Thank you for your word. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, I'm going to take you back a few years. Even Leon was not born during this time. It's been a long time ago. I'm looking at Leon. He's smiling inside if you can't see him or online. But back to the year 1783, there was a pastor by the name of Charles Simeon, Charles Simeon. And the people at that time of the church did not share the joy that he had for being their pastor. And many of the prominent members of the church back in those days had lockboxes to their pews. They, you could scale over the pews, but they would literally lock the boxes because Charles Simeon was preaching. They were so disgusted that during the service, they left those boxes empty to the point at which they would let no one else sit. So what did Charles Simeon, the pastor, do? He did what every Baptist would do. He just grabbed chairs and put them wherever he could put them, in the aisles, you know, wherever there was an open space, he put the chairs. If the rich people weren't going to come to church, he's going to let the people who could come to church come to church. And eventually, after 13 years of this nonsense, the people finally relented and said, you're our pastor. 43 years later, after 56 years in the same church, 56 years, that's more than John MacArthur, it's more than John Piper, that's more than all these people that we know today. After 56 years and three generations of pastoring, when he died, they had a national celebration in England at the time. But because he was faithful, he was opposed and friends, that is exactly what happens when you share the Word of God. Opposition does not mean that we're doing things wrong. Often it's evidence that we're doing things right. And if we allow ourselves to be deterred from doing anything, unless we have complete approval, it is a certain thing that we're never going to accomplish anything. Rather than being discouraged by opposition, what we read today and what we know from Scripture is, is that we should take comfort in God's faithfulness and keeping us and doing what is right. So, friends, I want to remind you of something. Psalm 2.4 says this. It says, God sits in the heavens and he laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. God literally laughs. We don't know if that's a, a belly laugh. Pastor Nelson expounded on this a few weeks ago on his Sunday school online. But what we know is this, is that God is not troubled by trouble. God is not troubled by troublemakers. Troublemakers should be troubled by God because God is the one who stands over them. And there is no opposition to Christ and his cause, and God is not worried. God is in complete control. And so how does this knowledge empower us as a church when we face opposition? How do we, if we're God's children, have difficulties before us, but have the knowledge that he is in control? Well, friends, I, the big idea today, the summary of the sermon is simply this. Jesus has never made hysterical. Can you see Jesus just like up there wringing his hands like, what am I going to do next? He's not made hysterical by those who fight him or by disciples who go a little bit wonky 
Don't you like that word wonky? Say that a few times fast. Well, you're looking wonky today, wife, or you're looking wonky today, husband. Jesus is never wonky. He's never off his rocker. Jesus is never troubled. Look, if you think you can be a Christian without facing opposition, then you're not following the Christ of the cross. Jesus tells us over and over and over again that we will face hard times. But he also said in Matthew 21, 44, is that the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. The truth is is that no opposition to Jesus will ever succeed. That is great truth. It gives us boldness in the gospel. It gives us courage when we need it. So today, seven things that we will look at. My friend Brian, who I always send my sermon text to and outline, he said two things, Darren. He said, you're not alliterating. You don't have P's and F's all the time with every letter, but you picked the number seven the last three sermons. You ought to change that. Well, here it is for the last time. Seven things from this text. When opposition comes, we need to remember these facts. First is this. Verse 14, first part, is that Christians will be an example. When hard times come, Christians will be an example. He says, for brothers, you brothers and sisters, became imitators of churches in Christ Jesus that were in Judea. This word imitate means to mimic. It's what little kids do when you tell them not to do something. They do the very things you tell them not to do, right? Because they saw you do it. They're mimicking you. And the book of Acts gives us a summary of what happens. All the way from Acts 1, all the way down, we know that Paul and the gospel and the early apostles were opposed. They were always opposed, but they were an example. And what Paul is doing here is he's referring to them as brothers and sisters. That's an intimate relationship. That when hard times come, when, when hard times come, they are an example to each other. Paul is going to point out in just a minute those people who oppose him. He doesn't call them brothers and sisters. But here he calls them brothers and sisters because they, to each other, acted like family when hard times come. But do you know what most churches do when hard times come? They don't act like brothers. Well, they actually act like brothers and sisters, don't they? They start doing this. Boom, boom, boom. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to gossip over here. I'm going to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And they just make everyone feel awkward and weird. And then churches start to split and do all these sorts of things. That's not what happens here. When hard times come, people who are truly God's people want to be around God's people. They want to be around them because they see that there's no other choice but to imitate and be with them. And that means that when it comes to the body of Christ, when hard times come, who do you run to first, Christian? Do you run to your brothers and sisters in Christ or do you run to your family? Listen, there's nothing wrong with family. We love family. God has told us to take care of our family. But when hard times come, the only people who understand the hard times that are coming on you because of Jesus are people who know Jesus. Well, duh, pastor. Yeah, but how many times do you actually do that? I mean, honestly, when hard times come, you often go to people who don't know anything about Jesus and try to tell them about what it means to be hard in Jesus. Run to your brothers and sisters. Look, I'll be the first to say that one of our greatest weaknesses here at Tower View Baptist Church, one of our greatest weaknesses is community. What do you mean by that? We have a church that's located off a highway, but we have people that live every different place, and that's fine. We struggle with that. We have a great unity, but one thing we struggle with is community. And as a church, we are praying about how to address that issue, especially in these pandemic times. But one thing I don't want you to do in this pandemic is lose the connection you have with your brothers and sisters, because you need that. You must have that. What if I can only meet on Zoom because I'm not ready to come back to church? Okay, but are you faithful to do that? What if I can come inside? Are are you faithful to call? Are you faithful to email? Are you faithful to do whatever it is you can to connect with other brothers and sisters? Because when hard times come, it's churches and Christians that do this that are most likely to be examples for other people. 
And he told them that when hard times come, the example that you set is something that is going to resound all around the world. So when hard times come, that's what's going to happen. So Christian, have you thrown in the towel with trying to be around people? Look, church, I'll be honest with you. We are going to be making changes in the coming weeks about how we are fellowshipping together because the city has allowed us some more freedom. And you're going to disagree with some of that. You're going to agree with some of that. But what I'm going to ask you through all that is that you be graceful to one another, that you don't hold high your opinion about how the church or the pandemic or this or that should take place. You allow and you pray for the church to operate how it should because our goal with this pandemic is not to be awkward. It's not to, to do this or do that. We want to see people in community together. We want to see people in example together because hard times are upon us. So we're going to ask for your grace as we seek to live out the example together that Paul tells them and that he told them that they have. Does that make sense? So if you are pro-mask and you don't like when no one else wears a mask, even if the city says it's okay, show grace. If you are a person who says, I don't like people who wear masks, show grace. How do you want to be an example in this culture? Don't let secondary, third-level, fourth-level issues overtake what is most important to us. And what is that? That Jesus died for your soul. That's it. And Paul says they, when hard times come, they were an example. And it took some serious soul-searching for them to say, you know what, this is really important to me, but for the sake of Christ, because of the hard times everyone is facing on account of Jesus, I'm going to put it to the side. That's what it took first thing they did. The second thing, verse 14, the second part, is that when hard times come, there will be suffering. This is a pretty easy one. For you suffered, verse 14, the same things from your own countrymen that they did from the Jews. Paul says here that the church of Thessalonica suffered the same treatment. Back in chapter 1, he told us how when the gospel came forth to them, you remember the story? There, uh, back in Acts, there was the, the man Jason who was a convert, and they surrounded his house, and they rioted him out, literally took Jason out of his house. Paul reveals that they had experienced similar persecution in Judea back in Israel. The word suffer here refers to a pain from an outside source, and that source was their own countrymen. The initial persecution of Acts 17 was caused by the Jews, and it was caused by Paul, directed at Paul and the missionary Silas and Timothy. And apparently they had to flee so much that Paul was thinking back to those people. But notice that Paul references here the Jews and it's quite often used in, in, in the persecution. Paul is not anti-Semitic. Paul is not non-Jew. Paul is a Jew. Paul is one of the Jew of Jews. He, he has a great desire, Romans 9 especially. Paul said he would basically trade his salvation if the whole country of Israel came to be saved. But he says it's not surprising that persecution comes. Christian, you have to remember this. The, half, the Christian life is not always happy, clappy, smile, big preacher. It is serious business. And to be countercultural, we have to embrace that. It's not surprising because even today at the turn from, as people turn from religion, they are persecuted. In a Muslim country, Pastor Nelson knows this, having served in such areas as a chaplain, in a Muslim country, if you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you will be ostracized. They might put a hit out on your head. They might take you out of the will or do all the above because you are so hated because you became a person of the book. You became a Christian. Suffering will always come. Christian, the world hated Jesus, and if we are truly his followers, there will be no occasion for the world not to hate us. But let's not rush to be judged. I say it a lot. I'll say it again. There's a fine line between being persecuted, and there's a fine line to be a J-E-R-K for Jesus. There is a fine line. And Paul says here that 
hard times will come when the work of Jesus is opposed. Notice thirdly, verses 15 and 16. The third one here is, is that wickedness will know no limits. Wickedness will know no limits. Look back at verse 15. He says, the, the Jews who killed, look at your Bible, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Stop right there. Wait, did Paul just say that the Jews killed Jesus? Hold that thought. Not very popular. And drove us out, verse 15, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. There are some people who look at these verses, verse 15, that the wickedness will know no limits. And they say, well, Paul couldn't have wrote that. Paul, someone else put that in. Or they'll say that Paul was anti-Jewish. No, Paul was a Jew. Paul became a Christian. And others who accuse Paul of being anti-Semitic, that's ridiculous. If that were so, then Paul, Paul's whole biography is basically thrown out the window. But if you remember back in 2005, when the, uh, the, the movie The Passion came back, uh, you all remember that movie, The Passion, Mel, Mel Gibson? I'm not endorsing it or not endorsing it, just asking generally. There was a big stink that came out in that time because the movie portrayed, as the scripture portrays, that the Jews, in conjunction with the Romans, basically executed Jesus. There were calls for it to be pulled out. There were calls for it to be torn away because it was anti-Semitic. Friends, there's no doubt the Jews themselves did not kill Jesus. The Romans did that. But they sure gave the crowd enough juice to go out and about and say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We have to realize that from the earliest days of his conversion that Paul understood this, that they did things as people that God knew they would do. But just because they did them did not mean they were right. When Paul preached the gospel, wherever he went, there was opposition because he even told them to their face, you killed the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christian, every one of us can say that outside of Jesus too, can't we? That we ourselves, because of our sin, both inherited and both intentionally done, have put Jesus Christ on that cross. Now let's be theological for a minute. Did God know Jesus was going to have to die for our sin? Yes, he did. Did God put his son on the cross? Yes, he did. Did the people also have a hand in that? Yes, they did. Did you and I, by extension, through the scope of time, by our sin, also have a hand in that? Yes, we can say we did. How does all that work out? Smile and say, thank you, God, you sent Jesus, and we'll figure it all out when we get to heaven. But what we know is this. Our sin sent him to that cross. And thank God that he died on that cross. Amen? That 2,000 years ago, your sin was nailed once and for all to that cross. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, to, to accept Jesus now and hope that your works, as some guy up in Idaho will tell you, that if you, have, if you have to accept Jesus, then you have to work and hope that your work is good enough when he throws you out to eternity, that you have to be enough. Friends, there will never be enough that you can do. It is all on Christ. But I want you to know, people outside of Jesus, we're going to act like people outside of Jesus. Haven't you said this? Because I've said it. How can they act like a non-Christian? Don't they? I mean, those non-Christians, I mean, come on now. I mean, if they would just act like Christians, the world would be a better place. If it meows like a cat, it's probably a cat. If it barks like a dog, it's probably a dog. Our cat ran away last night. We put up things all over Facebook. Thankfully, she came back. But if our cat came back barking like a dog, we'd have issues with what actually came back to us. Friends, this world is so unsaved. 
And I want you to see what happens here. If someone goes further to hinder the gospel, Paul says, look at verse 16, they will fill up the measure of their sin. Look, God promises there is coming a day when sin will be dealt with. But I want you to know, friends, that we cannot expect non-Christians to act like Christians. It bothers me. It should bother you that Christians continually expect shock and disapproval and judgment at the way non-Christians act. Look, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to act like someone who does. But just because you know some nice people who seem to be moral doesn't mean they're better than Christians. Friends, we're not better than anybody. We are saved at the cross. But Christian, you know that this world is not our home, and you know people are going to do and know no limit to their sin. We've become so culturized. Let's not forget that six years ago, in about six weeks from now, we redefined what marriage was. We kill more babies on average than most people who died in World War I. We, I mean, run the list. Yet we can sing in the same breath, God bless America. Oh, really? Christian, we should not expect our nation to be considered a Christian nation. Please don't go there. We are no better outside of Jesus Christ than these Jews who sent the Savior to die. But if you're a Christian, you need to know when you stand for righteousness, Satan is going to send everything after you. But number four, I want you to remember, look at verse 16, the end of verse 16. There's coming a day of time and reckoning. Sin can't run forever. He says, but wrath has come upon them at last. Was Paul just up there like Jonah waiting for the wrath to come down and the fire to come down from heaven? No, he wasn't. But what does he mean, the wrath has come? What he's saying here is that God's wrath has happened. God's wrath happened on Christ, but it also happened on the Jewish people. A.D. 70, the whole temple was destroyed. And it was extended to 2,000 years. Friends, there's been a, a numerous events throughout history where this has been fulfilled. And yet, what we know is that God's wrath is not something we take lightly. God's wrath means is that people who oppose Jesus will stand in judgment by Jesus. And there's coming a day. You know that to be true. Don't be angry, but, but let, let vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's the old King James. Friends, have you considered that God has already and is already punishing this earth. There is coming a time. We don't know the day or the hour. It could be 2,000 years from now. It could be 20 minutes from now. It could be 20 days from now. But he is coming again. And all these things that people have done against the people of God will be set right. And you and I will stand with Jesus on that day, and we will clap with him as he sets the world in righteousness correct as it should be. What about people who go to hell? Will we shed a tear? No, you won't shed a tear because you're going to be so focused on the lamb. You're going to be so praising what God has done for you, and you will thank him that he saved you, and you will thank him, like Paul does here, that wrath has finally come on people. Look, I want to be absolutely clear here. We treat everyone with grace and kindness and love and humility, but you have to know, can you imagine what our evangelism would do if everyone walked around with a big target on them, literally? If we had spiritual eyes to see a target on everyone, and it said God's wrath in the middle and had a bullseye right on their chest, how much we would be out there sharing the gospel. But that is the lot of every person outside of Jesus. And Paul says they opposed his work, but someday, should they not repent, they will stand accountable for opposing his work. Friends, that should give us hope in these times when Jesus is a byword, a cuss word at times, that we stand firm. We stand firm. Number five, Christians will seek during these times of opposition, verses 17 and 18, Christians will seek after and desire biblical fellowship. Look at verse 17. But since we are torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, but not in heart, 
we endeavored all the more eagerly and with great desire to share, see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again and again. When a church is standing together an example, when they know suffering has come, when they know the work is going to be opposed, but God is going to set all things right, they want biblical fellowship. What is biblical fellowship? It is exactly what he says here, that we're torn away from each other. And Christian, if your heart has not felt torn away by this pandemic in terms of fellowship, then pray about that. If you don't miss your brothers and sisters at Tower View Baptist Church more than you ever have, pray about your heart. Because Paul couldn't see them. He, he was so afraid to be around because they, they sent him away because they wanted him to go preach. But he was so eager. But the desire stems from a genuine care for each other. When a church cares for each other to the level Paul talks about here, they want to be around from each other. That word taken from you refers to children who've lost their parents or, or, or children who were taken away and sold into slavery because of their parents' debts. Can you imagine that? We're kind of seeing that at our border at some extent around the world and all these things. But he says, all the more I desire to see you face to face. Well, he must be referring to the pandemic of 2020. Mask and maskless, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, despite what obstacles are in my way, despite whatever we're asked to do as a culture or a country or a church, my desire for to see you is more important than how I see you. I want to be around you. I want to desire that for you. His words are different at other times. He said in Philippians 1.8, For my God is a witness, how I long for you with affection in Christ Jesus. I mean, do we burn for that type of fellowship with each other? Tyree, I want you to pray about this. I want you to really pray about this. When I took over the pastorate here, we had a lot of things to correct the ship over the years. God has done great work here, and I think we've seen some fruit in there. But the one thing God keeps putting in our lap is community. We need a deeper and more extensive community here than we've ever seen because the times call for it. Would you pray that our hearts long to see each other to the point at which Paul longed to see the Thessalonians? And that's not just a Sunday thing. Dare I say it's not just a Sunday school or a small group thing. Those are great extensions, great steps in. It's a life thing. Pastor, how do we do that? We're going to work on that together. But you pray that we have that type of thing. You pray that geographically we meet more together. Some of you live in the same sectors of the city. That's an avenue that we can do. Some of you live in the same communities, and that's an avenue you can do. Are you saying have another Bible? Say no, I'm saying do life together. We need to think about and pray about that. But friends, one thing that happens when the work of Jesus is opposed, you want that type of fellowship. I think the days are slowly going by in our country when people just want to go to church to go to church. I think we're long past that. Pastor Craig, we've talked about this, mentioned it a couple times. The statistics of church attendance have been going down for years. So who's left? You're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful to be here. Would you pray for wisdom for us? Because, guys, it's not going to get any easier in the days ahead. If we're opposed for Jesus, we should desire fellowship. Why? Number six, look what happens. Satan won't back down until he's vanquished. Look at verse 18. He says, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Whenever there's a work of God, Satan is right there behind. Because he walks around, doesn't he? Like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour, First Peter 5. But that's why Peter tells us to cast all our cares on him. Because he cares for us. Because he walks around like a roaring lion. 
book, like a wolf preying on a flock of sheep, Satan knows it's easier to pick off the sheep who are not intentionally together. I'm going to look at the camera for a second, but I'm speaking to all of us. If you are at home and you're not making an effort to try to get to church in any way, shape, or form, turn and repent and take that to the Lord. Church, Satan will do anything in his power to keep you from fellowship. Online church has a place. But I want to be absolutely clear in this. Mask or no mask, no matter where you are in this fellowship, if we are going to be countercultural, we have to be physically together. That may shock some of you. But Satan would have us be apart. Look, I understand we need to be sensible. I understand we need to be safe. I understand we need to keep each other safe in a pandemic. I get all those things. But friend, there comes a point, just like with a kid who's had training wheels on their whole life, that you got to pull the training wheels off and get them back on the road. Church, it's not just about being inside, but it is about being intentional. There are a lot of churches out there today that are so scared to even be around each other for fear of being sick. Look, we need to take this pandemic seriously. Do you hear me saying that out of one side of my mouth? The other side of my mouth also says is that if we are going to be countercultural with the mission that we've been called to do, at some point, those two worlds have to merge. But Satan hindered us. Am I saying that churches are in sin who are meeting on Zoom? No, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is that Satan can put such a fear in your heart, put such a temptation in your mind that so many things become more important than being around the brothers and sisters that God sent his son to save and call you together with. I'm not going to fill any more of that blank. You need to pray about wisdom with that. But it's a truth. At some point, we have to get back together. I am so grateful for how you guys have handled this pandemic, how you have walked hand in hand with drive-in church and these things, and we're so grateful for those things. I appreciate our staff, Pastor Nelson having the brainchild to think of radio and Brennan and Tom helping with the online, so many people doing so many things. But church, at some point, to get biblical, to be countercultural, we have to believe that Satan wants to keep us apart to the point at which we allow fear to take away the call to serve, love, to cherish, and to care for one another. Last thing, when suffering comes, earthly suffering will fade in the light of Christ's reign in eternity. Look at verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are joy, our glory, and our crown. Those are great words. I love this. And here's a little fun fact about Thessalonians. At the end of every verse, at the end of every chapter, do you know what Paul talks about? The coming of Jesus. Isn't that great? I love it. And now chapters were not there and verses are not original to the text. I get it. But it's cool how every chapter ends with this, that he's coming again. Why do we get back together? Why do we seek fellowship in hard times? Why do we keep Satan at bay? And why do we do all these things? It's because he's coming again. And Christian, we need to remember that. He is coming again. Now, the time of that, the day of that, Jesus himself, we know not the day or the hour, and we're not going to pin the tail on the Antichrist. We're not playing that game. But one thing we need to remember is that this is something we Christians often de-emphasize instead of emphasize. It's important. He's coming. And that just make you smile. Because all the suffering we're facing, all these things we have to do is just going to fade away. See ya. 
it's like when it's like when you get ready to go on vacation. And I know we, a lot of you are working from home now, but you, when, or, or if you were at the factory and you knew your vacation started at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock and one second, you were looking at your watch all the time and you took your punch card, boom, boom. They still have punch cards anymore, digitally or otherwise. And they do that sort of thing. And you said, see ya, hit the road, Jack. I'm not coming back for a week. No more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. You know that feeling, don't you? Well, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. We're going to punch our ticket out of here and go. But he calls us to live in this world. And what Paul is saying, he says, look, he says, I, 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 I love you guys so much. I care for you so much. I desire Christ in you so much that when that day comes, we're going to stand arm in arm together. And we're going to worship the Lord and say, even despite all that happened in this world, together we stood. That's why he says, the crown of boasting. Is Paul trying to boast? No. Paul's going to lay this at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I did this for you. This was for you. And Tower View, that's our aim here at church for you as pastors. We desire that you grow in Christ. We desire that you know him better. That's what it's all about. We love you so much, and that's what it's all about. Sometimes these words, that pride can refer to sin, but other times it legitimately means what it means. Look, Christ's kingdom is this, is that there will be suffering there will be eternal glory, but in the kingdom of Satan, it's different. In Satan's world, there's good things first and bad things later. But in God's economy, there's bad things first and good things later. What an awesome God we serve. Guys, Jesus is never made hysterical, neither by those who fight him nor by the disciples when they go a bit wonky. Some of you are going to look up that definition after church. What does wonky mean? If you're a guy, ask your spouse what wonky means, and they'll probably say that's you, but that's another, another topic for another time. Guys, we love you so much. I will say this last thing. We as a church desire to be unified in Christ more than anything else perhaps in this world. In the coming days, we are prayerfully considering what it looks like for us to gather in a different way and what that means for the future, I'm going to ask for your grace. I'm going to ask you to be more passionate about Jesus and his gospel and lost people are than you are about your opinion of mask or no mask or what we have to say. We may not be right. We're humans. We're fallible. We may do something and say, don't, that was dumb, pastor. Don't do that again. Thank you for your grace. But we are not going to stand for side issues to overtake the primary goal that we have here, which is to make much of Jesus and to grow disciples of Jesus. That can be about video games. That can be about what sports team it is. It can be about the pandemic. It can be about a thousand things. Jesus is our central focus, amen? That's what it's about. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you so much for this passage. Father, that when opposition comes, we know, Lord, there will be Christians who will be an example there will be suffering. Wickedness will know no limits. Father, we know that during those times that Christians will uh, see a day of reckoning. Christians will want biblical fellowship, that Satan won't back down until he's vanquished. But Lord, everything will fade at the second coming, the literal bodily res uh, uh, coming again. It's not just some symbolic thing. Your son is coming. He comes like a thief in the night. Help us to be about the mission. Help us not be so focused on the day or the time that we miss what is in front of us of the mission to reach lost people for Christ. But Lord, in balance, may we do all to your glory. 
Lord, we love you. Give us wisdom in these days. If there's any watching or hearing this that don't know Jesus, that they would come by your grace to see the love that is in Christ, that we are sinners, but Christ is a mighty Savior who saved us despite us, despite anything we bring to the table. Lord, we love you so much. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Before we do-